0: What's going on? This is the Saturday on South podcast. I am Conor O'Gara. Well, great show lined up. We've got former Auburn greats, Keo Spikes, Roger McCreary. They're going to join us in a little bit here, talking to them at SEC Media Days. I've got some all-SEC gripes that I had, Mm -hmm. and we are going to be talking about books and figuring out it's not a book club. Don't worry. Not a book club. Not doing that. But first, I think Tennessee... Might have just shot the moon. Okay, they might have, and that's a reference to that's that's reference to hearts, right? That's the game, the card game, where that phrase came from. I used to play that all the time. I used to just get bored and then just try and shoot the moon. I don't think Tennessee got bored. I think Tennessee realized that it might have had a path to be able to shoot the moon and survive it. Here's what I mean by that. What did okay. shoot
1: the moon? I have no idea what that
0: means. <laughs> shoot the moon is essentially tank so badly that you come out of the other end. I'm smelling like roses. Oh, that's awesome! Look, I'm gonna use that. Okay. Here, I'm gonna search. I'm gonna search the definition right now. Pardon me for just a brief second, just so that we're all clear on the same exact page. Okay, we're getting a lot of films that are coming up here. This is called <laughs> podcasting on the
1: fly. This is, yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought you results. would like. I thought you would like shoot for the moon, but you're saying go so bad that you go through the earth and hit the moon essentially. Shoot the moon. Yes, yes. Shoot the
0: moon uh, to try. Mmm, okay, no, that's not going to work.
1: <laughs> Did you get on a dictionary it just found it weird?
0: <laughs> yeah, to try to do or get something that is very difficult to get, Okay. Um, Shoot for the moon. Shoot the moon. Yeah, okay. We're not going to find it, but it's a reference to the game parts. (laughs) Okay. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. It's essentially realizing like, oh crap, we're kind of screwed. This is probably our only solution to be able to to win this. You're dealt a hand that's so bad that you just try and make the absolute best of it. Okay. That's what we're talking about for those who don't know. Or if I just horribly misremembered what exactly it means to shoot the moon. All right. Tennessee got its notice of Allegations from the NCAA, which whenever one of those things drops, you're like, gotta click on that, gotta see what exactly is in this report. Oh, yes. What did the NCAA uncover? 18 level one violations, but all in all, just less than $60,000 worth of impermissible benefits provided, or at least that's what the investigation uncovered. Also uncovered that Jeremy Pruitt's wife made payments to recruit's mother to be able to cover a car payment. We had La La Nails, Ripley's Aquarium of the Smokies, and McDonald's all named in this notice of allegations. No, I know what you're thinking. It was not McDonald's bags full of cash that we saw. Unfortunately, we did not get any confirmation that that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Big bummer. But we still had McDonald's name to the report. Of course we did.
1: They were, they the were cross-examining Ronald McDonald. It was a tough scene for all. Yeah, it really was. Grimace, boy, he was sweating. He was. <laughs> He rolled on the whole, the Hamburglar, he's got 25 delay. That guy just looks guilty, all right? <laughs>
0: on the surface you would maybe say all right tennessee about to get pummeled 18 level one violations is a lot and i want to go on record saying i do not have any idea whatsoever what side of the bed the NCAA is going to wake up on and decide when it comes to Tennessee's punishment. The program basically gets to decide now what it's going to self-impose. The the way this works and the timeline of it, NCAA tells you, here's what you did wrong. What are you going to do about it? And then we'll decide what other action needs to be taken. The only thing that would stun me at this point is if Tennessee self-imposes a bull ban. Really, that's where we're at with this thing. It sort of feels though, like barring a bull ban, Tennessee will have tiptoed its way out of danger. It feels like it. Now we'll see. Remember, this entire story came about at the end of 2020. In the midst of a very, very disappointing season, Philip Fulmer, well, I shouldn't say Philip Fulmer, Tennessee's administration realized, Mm -hmm. huh? That extension that Philip Fulmer gave Jeremy Pruitt a few months ago at the start of the 2020 season, not great, (laughs) had a $12.6 million buyout that he was owed after the 2020 season if he was fired without cause. Tennessee obviously tried to fire him with cause. When you fire a coach with cause, you're basically saying, we ain't paying that money. Mm -hmm. Take us to court. Tennessee got tipped off that they had a legal contact, that is Pruitt's staff, with players during the COVID dead period. We talked about that with the Arizona State thing, the way that they played out with Herm Edwards. Who still because has a job somehow. <laughs> somehow, someway.
1: <laughs> Sorry. It's worth noting that like he's kind of worse and still there. Anyway.
0: Worth noting, NCAA, investig- NCAA investigations take a lot of time. Right. And resources and those things, if you can kind of wait them out, Usually the smartest move of anything. Everybody's debating, do you cooperate? Do you not cooperate? Just make it as slow of a process as possible, and chances are you're going to be okay. Just ask North Carolina about that.
1: They're kind of like cats, the NCAA. They get kind of bored, you know, if you don't really directly play with them. So they'll just kind of walk away and do something else, like mess with some transfer rules or something. I don't know. Yes. Tennessee self-reported this and they cooperated with the NCAA. So
0: there's a feeling that based on those dynamics that they'll avoid getting the worst of it. But as we know, and some Mizzou fan just yelled at whatever device they're listening to this on. Mizzou, totally cooperative with the NCAA with the whole rogue tutor situation. Mm -hmm. She helped out 12 student athletes. She announces that she committed academic fraud on Facebook. Somehow though, Mizzou got that bowl ban immediately after the NCAA acknowledged that UNC created bogus classes and fought the NCAA, only to avoid a bowl ban or any punishment at all because the bogus classes were available to the entire student body and not just basketball football players. <laughs> you
1: got an equal opportunity to cheat. That's what we <laughs> promise you here at UNC. Anybody yes. can cheat. Me, you, athletes, students, teachers, hey. NCAA said we have
0: we can't cross into that jurisdiction. Student athletes of all backgrounds, you can you can be able to take these classes even though they're total crap, and we can't punish that. Okay. So congratulations to UNC, big ol' eye roll with that. Mm-hmm. The NCAA could decide that in some sort of last ditch effort to show that it has power that maybe Tennessee is about to get a bull ban, even though the yeah. athletic director, which. The athletic director at the time, mm-hmm. and the coach, Pruitt, they're both gone. The NCAA could also try and go heavy on recruiting violations since perhaps you could argue the biggest offense in this entire thing was illegal recruiting during the COVID dead period. But as we know, Tennessee's collective is, is popping right now. It's not It's not really facing a whole lot of issues. When you have the resources that they have, how much does it matter if Josh Heupel can't see a kid for two months? Money talks, right. money's got a bigger staying power than these coaches being able to go on unofficial visits and do all that stuff with them. If Tennessee avoids the bull ban, it might have NIL to thank. And Andy Staples wrote a really good column about this for The Athletic. We have shifted how we feel about players getting paid or families getting money because it's now essentially legal, or at least it's not being enforced, right? Mm-hmm. Seeing that number, the whatever, the $59,000 number, uh, the, seeing that number, that worth of illegal benefits, we all just kind of like, eh, that's it? Right. Yeah. You guys are <laughs> cheating
1: harder. That's why you're already good. <laughs> like, that's all they <laughs> right. uncovered?
0: Okay going a couple of zeros to that, okay? Then we can have a conversation. And I'm not saying that's all there was, that's all they uncovered. That's right. the key part of this. And shout out to Tennessee staff members for being so bad at cheating that they did so with their university-issued phones. I love it. When we get a notice of allegations and they can, and they say in there, Yep, we got all the stuff that we needed right from their university-issued phones. They don't the have Kevin I mean, Gates up there in, in Rocky Top. But you gotta have two phones, man. Gotta have two phones. Always have a burner if you learn nothing else from this podcast. Always have a burner. The irony is that the NCAA literally said in the notice of allegations that those phone records gave them, quote, voluminous amounts of information that substantiated the alleged violations. <laughs> like, Thanks. You let us right to exactly what we needed. Tennessee made life easier on the NCAA to find these violations, which you'd say, in theory, why would a university lead them straight to evidence. This was, and still is, entirely about moving on from Pruitt without paying that $12.6 million buyout, okay? Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking right when this came out and you saw a Tennessee statement on the matter that this felt like an inside job. Oh yeah. Pruitt's Pruitt's lawyer spoke to a handful of outlets this past October, basically to say, this is an all out war and we're gonna get that money one way or another. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that's all going to turn out. I don't know if there's going to be a settlement. I can't imagine Friday's news seeing Pruitt linked to these 18 level one violations was going to help their case to be able to get that money. Okay. Don't know how it's going to turn out, but that couldn't have been a positive development. We talked about this before with a team attempting to do this, to pull off this sort of heist, this shoot the moon, if you will, which I might have misquoted. We'll wait and see. The David Beatty situation at Kansas. Remember. What they fired him over? <laughs> and they did so without cause too, which is kind of crazy. Mm. He was he was six and forty-two. That's what they fired right. him over. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they Kansas tried to avoid paying him a three million dollar buyout and cited a single level two violation Love as to that. why they didn't. <laughs> That's crazy, right? They settled for $2.55 million. So he, he got some of that money. And How he didn't get all three million is maybe the bigger mystery in this entire deal. Maybe just didn't want to deal with all the legal fees and all that crap that's associated with that. But it's a little bit different than what we're talking about right here, $12.6 million, 18 level one violations. Okay. I don't have to spell it out for you. You understand why this, this is kind of a one of one scenario that we're talking about right now. There's a world in which Tennessee is gonna to get to is not gonna to have to pay any of that $12.6 million while also avoiding a bull ban. That's what I'm talking about here. If Tennessee can kind of tiptoe its way around all that, buddy, they will have just pulled off something that I did not think was quite feasible. And again, no guarantee that happens. If that happens, That would be a roll of the dice, unlike anything that we have seen in major college football, at least as it relates to having a buyout with that $12.6 million and avoiding a colossal penalty while doing so. And there's a little bit of this recency bias with Tennessee is the way that we talk about them now, because they're in a relatively stable place, in my opinion. They got a coach who's got four consecutive top 10 offenses. Mm -hmm. They've got one of the 10 best returning quarterbacks in college football. I thought last year would be much worse after they lost a ton of pieces on that defense, with the the Jeremy Pruitt stuff. I, I had a feeling that we were going to say Josh Heupel was in year zero, the proverbial year zero. Oh, I yeah. thought we were going to be saying, but we didn't. We really didn't. Instead, they're coming off of a seven win season. We're going into year two, debating whether or not they're the second team in the SEC East. And look, I. I went on record saying that I think they're going to be second in the East. I also went on record uh, saying that they were going to be Georgia this year. Do not give us a one star review for me saying that. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to tell you why I'm an idiot right now. I'm well aware that Tennessee has lost 28 consecutive games to AP top five teams, and the last such victory happened in that weird post-Hurricane Katrina Monday night game at LSU back in 2005. Think about that. That is a long, long time to go without a victory against the top five team, and we assume that Georgia's probably going to be in that top five discussion when that game rolls around this year. But I bring that up. Because if we were talking about Tennessee like it was just a disaster right now, we just have no idea what sort of direction the program's going in. Maybe they're coming off of a 3-9 and season. We're like, man, this is going to be a long climb back up to where they want to be. It it would be an entirely different discussion. I wouldn't be making this reference to shooting the moon. Mm -hmm. I'd instead be saying that Tennessee shot itself in the foot and now it's probably going to limp its way back to
1: relevancy. Will, any thoughts on Tennessee and the way that this has played out so far? Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a genius move. Like you said, if it works out this way for UT's kind of like whole brain trust, because like, listen, Athletic directors, new regimes, love nothing more than saying, hey, that other guy, hey, he was a crook. He was a criminal. But our guys that we got, they're good, upstanding young men. And that's exactly what Tennessee has tried to do by bringing in a new AD, Josh Heupel, all these new you know, positions. Because they pretty much cleared the whole, drained the swamp of the Tennessee program from the Pruitt era. And they were just like, look, oh my gosh, look how bad this was. There are all these violations. See, we had to do this. Why would we pay this monster? And it's like... I mean, because you hired him and then extended him, probably. I don't know. But. Day uh, <laughs> so wins from a five win
0: season. Be my guest. Right. Go ahead. All
1: exactly. Right. It's like.
0: The it's, banner's not flying anywhere. Right.
1: Yeah, it's, it's so funny, though, because they're just like, who could have done this to us? The University of Tennessee. It's like, actually, kind of you. But yeah, like you said, like, credit to them. Like, they hired, I think, what is like a top five AD. They hired, you know, Hypo <laughs> is an interesting case. We'll kind of see what happens next year. But like you said, right. the big thing is continuing the upper momentum. You know, this 2023 class, uh, they have obviously number three recruit and that quarterback whose name I'll learn how to pronounce later. I'll just say it. Just Nico. He's first name guy. There you go. Boom. Nico. Yeah. They're, they're obviously still like, they're number seven right now. They have three top 100 recruits. Sorry. Four top 100 recruits. So yeah, I mean, that's like something that, and and, and Hypo struggled even for recruiting at UCF's level at UCF. So like you look at kind of like the runway that goes up to, okay, our NIL is going, we're going to have these guys in the, in the system. And by the time Nico is playing, all of this stuff will be a long memory, unless obviously there's some impropriety by Hypo, which would be the only caveat, which I don't think would happen, but then you obviously tie it all together. But yeah, I, I think that, you know, this is a thing that was at the time laughed at pretty hard. I think, you know, everyone kind of across, especially the SEC, was like, oh yeah, sure. You're, you're paid, guys. This is ridiculous. How dare you? But like, I, I, I kind of looking at it now, it's like even a one-year bull ban, I don't even think it would be that bad. Like, LSU self-imposed bull ban. <laughs> like- Great point. Yeah, that, that's, that's
0: the, the other part of this, and maybe I should have not been so dependent on that caveat of like, if they avoid a bull ban, we've seen, I don't know that guys in this day and age with those lesser bowl games right. having decreased significance. I don't know if all of a sudden we're going to see all these guys hit the portal, even though there are, as we found out on Friday, there's this new, or we found out last Thursday, rather, that there's this new proposal to get rid of the one-time exemption thing and just let undergrads transfer as, as much as they want, Right. even with that. I would still kind of look at this situation and go, "Well, I don't know that you're going to have this mass exodus if you find out going into a season that you have a one-year bowl ban." I don't think Tennessee's about to get hit with a three-year bowl ban or something crazy like that. Right. And when you're talking about a program that, uh, let's let's be honest here, in terms of BCS New Year's Six bowls. Have played in a whole lot of meaningful bowls in the 21st century, yeah. So you're not talking about it in the same way that we, you would with Georgia, with Alabama, and it's in a, it's in an entirely different discussion. And um, hopefully, we're going to get some sort of clarity uh, this fall. Maybe we'll kind of wait and see. I think that timeline it's either 60 or 90 days that Tennessee has, and I imagine they'll do some sort of recruiting self-imposed mm-hmm. violations, whatever, whatever, some sort of sanctions related to that because that's the smartest thing probably to do in this case. Uh, I don't know if you're going to self-impose a loss of scholarships or something like that, but I just don't think Tennessee is going to self-impose a bull ban. And I don't even know that the NCAA is going to step in and impose a bull ban because the climate with impermissible benefits is entirely different now than it oh, was yeah. even at
1: this time last year. I will say the most Tennessee storyline of all time would be if they self-imposed the bull ban and they just went undefeated. I yeah, that would. That <laughs> yeah, would be so Tennessee. Just beat Georgia. Beat Alabama. It's like, what do we do? <laughs> Can we take get psych?
0: When when is the next time in in history that we'll be able to watch Tennessee go through a normal coaching change?
1: Oh gosh.
0: Yeah, like was I was talking. about- what? i take that back i don't want to see that day i don't want to see that day scrap that off the record we we want tennessee to go through the most atypical messy coaching changes possible and if it's as simple as firing somebody who underperformed and then bringing in their first or second candidate i want no part of that Mm -hmm. all right take that for when i'm long gone and i'm not talking about college football anymore okay
1: Mm -hmm. the real Uh, winner here
0: is auburn anyway (laughs) <laughs> Auburn had to pay 20 and a half million bucks to Gus Malzahn and didn't come up with a creative solution to be <laughs> able to get him fired with cause. I don't know. They're, they're a real winner. That's a
1: good know. point. I was just saying by comparison, they're like, see, see, we, we did it right. I don't know.
0: Right. Yeah. We'll wait and see how Auburn tries to get creative with Brian Harson. It's uh, not over. Least, That's a good point. Yeah. Who knows? All SEC gripes. Got a few of them. Five that I wanted to dig into. And, uh, you know, they're disagreements across the board could have definitely done a whole lot more than just five but I kind of like to call out when there's in my opinion some lazy voting and I can really pick it apart pretty easily and I think so there are some media members that just blindly pencil in Georgia or Bama guys because it's the easy thing to do mm-hmm. and when you guys you haven't filled out your all SEC ballot and it's Thursday at 4:15, and you've got to turn it in by 5 o'clock and you've got to catch a flight sometimes you make some quick decisions can
1: okay. we talk about the Vandy sicko please Oh,
0: gosh. That's a great point. <laughs> I was going to lead. Oh, gosh. Dang, Will. I missed opportunity. I was going to lead the pod by saying I am the Vandy SEC voter. There's, I yeah. am the person picked him to win the SEC.
1: Apparently I'm somebody not. voted Vandy to be like to win the East. And it's just like Vandy is like last in the in the in the media pool. And there's just a little one by their name. And I was just like, which sicko? We have to conduct an SDS investigation to figure out which sicko voted for Vandy. But yes, great example of like how people are just like whatever on the East. Open spot on the pod.
0: Mm-hmm. Anytime that person wants to reveal themselves, come on. They say that that the greatest mystery is, is who killed Kennedy? No, it's who put Vandy as the SEC champ in the year 2022, because mm-hmm. Clark Lee doesn't have a media vote. Okay? We know that. <laughs> there are two it's awesome. people
1: who believe in Pandy: one in there the media, one at the podium.
0: I haven't dug into what Clark Lee's wife does for a living. <laughs> I don't think she had a vote. I'm pretty sure she didn't. Mm-hmm. But who knows? You never know. All right. So all SEC preseason, all SEC gripes. Um, these things have six weeks of shelf life. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's really just so that we can talk about it in this six week window because everything gets thrown out the window once games actually start. Right. In my opinion, it shouldn't just be about projecting. I'm not trying to predict who's going to finish there. I'm more about what have I seen from a player? What have I seen from them against SEC competition? That's big. That's why transfers, in my opinion, usually don't get the benefit of the doubt. There are a few exceptions. If you've played at a high level to the power of five, that's a little bit of a different discussion. Grab number one. Jermaine Burton was named first-team All-SEC over Cedric Tillman.
1: Excuse? Wh- okay, yeah, sure. I- Get into N- it? Not sure. Not sure um, about any of that. <laughs> no, not even a little bit. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I hate that in, in every possible way. Um, that to me, that just makes no sense whatsoever. I, I, I don't know what we're doing here. Tillman had twice as much production as Burton in every single category. Mm-hmm. I'm usually the person to call a guy out if he comes out of nowhere, but like, like if if the production comes against a bunch of bad teams or something and then you know it was a little bit like the Kevin Harris thing and I'm not trying to diminish who Kevin Harris was as a player but we talked about that last year we're like all right who's he having his big games against Mm -hmm. Tillman went for 352 against Bama and Georgia okay he's not that guy at all Burton had two games against Bama last year and he had a combined 64 receiving yards. Huge. I wrote last week that I think Cedric Tillman has a path to win the Bulitnikov as the best receiver in college football. And I'm not saying that he's got the most next level skills or that he's some sort of a physical freak, but the Burton thing felt like media members basically said, well, he's going from Stetson Bennett to Bryce Young. So he's going to go off this year. Georgia fans were not very happy with me that I wrote in the story, which is up on SaturdayDownSouth.com that Burton was essentially going from driving a Toyota Camry to a Maserati. They didn't like Stetson being hey, compared to. Hey, Toyota Camry BMW. is some hardware now. Watch yourself. Well, that's look. All I'm trying to say, <laughs> Stetson. Toyota Camry is a great car. It's a great car. It's yeah. reliable. Reliable, yeah. It's not flashy though. Maserati's flashy. My guy Sarfik in the Facebook group correctly pointed out that Maseratis are actually super unreliable. <laughs> so really bad comp by by me, by me, and trying to illustrate that point. But even if Jermaine Burton increases his production after crossing enemy lines, going from Georgia to Bama, and you were basing this off of a projection, wouldn't the odds still favor the guy who exploded in the final eight games last year once Hendon Hooker was the starter? Because that's who Cedric Tillman is. Right. So I just that was really dumb in my opinion. I think what led to this was how much turnover there's been at receiver in the SEC the last two years. Feels like a changing of the guard. I think I said the exact same thing last year as well. So just going to copy and paste that line. Tillman is the better player if you stick them on the field tomorrow. And that's not just scheme dependent. Tillman's the better football player. Simple as that.
1: How about um, Jameer Gibbs and Burton just kind of doing the old like, hey, Look at us. Who would have thought? Former rivals at Georgia Georgia Tech, now on yeah. Alabama, and I'm like, first team yes. on the SEC. <laughs> How did we get here, brother? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. I don't even think that's all. I almost don't think it's worth addressing because it won't be there for long. You're right. I mean, I, I think that I get it. Like, I really do get it. And if there was a lack of a second guy, but like I said, I, an LSU fan was like, I don't know, man. I might take Tillman bit of a So like at those, it's like one, two, and then a big golf, not one, then a big golf. You know, I, I was stunned to see that.
0: I'm like, you can't leave Tillman off first team after yeah. what he did last year. And especially yeah. against good competition and what they're, what they're returning with Hendon Hooker. Yeah. That, that just did not make any sense to me. Great. Number two, I thought KJ Jefferson should have been third team, all sec instead of Will Levis. Weird to once again be arguing against Levis because I love the potential. Seeing him in Atlanta was a reminder of just how much he seems to get it. Mm-hmm. Really, like one of those guys that you just feel this sense of calm and why he's very easy to rally around. All those all those stereotypes are there with Will Levis. But I would love to know what Levis does that's definitively better than KJ because they are both really, really good top tier running quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. They check that box. KJ was the leading rusher for the number one rushing offense in power five. I really, I thought at first that that was a super rare thing. So I went back and I'm looking this up and, and I was talking to my editor, Chris it. He's like, that'd be a great nugget if you can include it in a story on KJ. And then I realized that it's happened through the last four years, including with Kentucky's own Lynn Bowden, a little bit of a different That's situation because quarterback. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. Both are fearless, durable dudes who lay it all on the line as runners, and they do that as well as any quarterbacks in college football. They'll run through you, they'll run by you, they'll run over you, whatever it takes. But I feel like KJ is being knocked too much for not having Traylon Burks when Will Levis is in a really similar spot in a post wandale Robinson world. I think two things are separators for me with KJ over Levis right now. Levis had the 13 picks. KJ had four, I get, again, we've talked about this before. Not all those are on Levis, but that's a pretty significant difference right there, considering they're only separated by six total touchdowns. The other thing, the deep ball numbers, you would think with those high interception numbers, Levis is surely better as a deep passer. That has not been the case on the downfield throws. KJ graded out better than any SEC quarterback, which includes Bryce Young. Okay. Very good. We t- talked about that stat before. Levis, on the other hand, had that five game stretch in the middle of the year where SEC Stack Cat had him at. 0 for 10 on throws of 20 yards or more. Deep passing game was not there. If you watch Kentucky, that really was not a fixture for most of the year. And it didn't seem like Levis really developed into a rhythm in that area. And even late in the year, that wasn't necessarily something that they could rely on. We know that he can get the football there. That's not an issue. We talked about the biomechanics expert that he worked with in Canada all the time. But as we talked about with Joe Milton, well, Levis is not Joe Milton. He's not. Don't get it twisted that downfield accuracy is an entirely different ball game than just being able to get the ball downfield. Any, any issue with that?
1: Yeah. Boy, is that boy a prolific runner that will love us. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> point being, uh, saw that in the LSU game, so I'm laughing, but yeah, I think, uh, I think you're right. I mean, at the, old, at the end of the day, like this sounds stupid, but it almost has to be true, right? It's like, we're giving We're giving Kendall Riles like extra points for being super smart. And it's like, oh, well, KJ doesn't have to do a lot because that offense is so easy, it's like, that offense is awesome. Disagree. You know, No, but like, that's what it has to be. I'm not saying I think that, but yeah. that's the only logic you could have, is like, oh, we'll see. Levis had all these interceptions because he has to make all these plays. It's like, now, if you watch KJ Jefferson, he just wasn't throwing interceptions. Like, he was making big plays downfield like you said. He was like, he has a very good, like, pocket awareness as far as, like, it's not just that he's mobile. It's that he knows when to run. He knows when to uncork one. And, like, that old Miss game, I think, was obviously a great example of just, he could go shot for shot with anybody in the SEC. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not furious about it because we we talked about it. you got three you know four or five quarterbacks trying to fit in a three. Um you can make the same exact case with Will Rogers, I feel, you know. So but at mm-hmm. the end of the you know the end of the season is what matters. I hate to say that, but this is obviously just who the media likes right now. I think
0: the difference too is KJ is a top ten quarterback as of right now. Yep. When I fill out my my, my quarterback rankings, my national quarterback rankings i do top twenty five stories, those will be coming out mid up like early to mid August, I think. Mm-hmm. He'll be in that top five. I think Levis has the potential to develop into a top 10 quarterback, but who, I, who do I want tomorrow? Who do I think still has more to prove? I think Levis still has more to prove
1: in that area. Quick, one more to answer, sorry. Kentucky used to be a run-first offense. Do you think they are still a run-first offense, or do you think they're a balanced or fast-first offense? They are a run-to-set-up-the-play-action offense. Got it. So they're similar in that way, just making sure. Yeah, similar,
0: similar in that way, they, they need to be able to establish the run. If Kentucky's throwing the ball 40 times a game, that's, that's troubling. They want balance. That's what they pride themselves on. That, that play action, that's, that's really where they're going to be able to, mm-hmm. to thrive most. That's where they were able to, to, to kind of, if you look at some of the, the stretch plays with Wandel last year too, that's where they were kind of at their best. Great number three, Henry Toto being first-team All-SEC over Dallas Turner. Kind of a curveball. They play different positions on the same team, so it's kind of maybe that's a weird one to, to list. But mm-hmm. they're both linebackers, so I, I feel like this is this is valid. If we're gonna list Will Anderson and, and and Dallas Turner as linebackers, even though they obviously they rush off the edge and it's different skill set than what Henry Toloto does. Um, I, I still think that that's, that that's valid. And Henry, Henry Toto is the guy that every single time these all ICC things come out, I'm just like scratching my head going, mm-hmm. so we're, so we're just looking at tackles. That's all, that's all we're doing. I'm not a toe guy. If your argument for why he's a good player is that he gets a lot of tackles. Just tell me how many of those tackles are putting an offense off schedule. Cause I don't think there's a lot. I really mm-hmm. don't focus on just him. Watch a game and you'll say, eh, not great. Not great. He's a middle linebacker in the year 2022 who can't cover. He is the anti-Nekobe Dean. Okay, That's a problem. Mm -hmm. He was number 45 out of 50 qualified SEC linebackers in coverage last year, according to PFF. That was his overall PFF grade actually among SEC linebackers, 45th, Okay, not great. Even against the run, he was like 25th out of 50. That's the thing that he does best. I, I think that's a problem. Okay. I just do and I know he's asked to do a lot. I'm not going to sit here and blast the kid because by all accounts, solid teammate, good guy in the locker room. But I do feel like he continues to get the benefit of the doubt because he's a fam- he's a familiar name who's been around for the last three years and he's always high on that tackles list mm-hmm. and everybody kind of just says, Oh, everything else doesn't matter. But give me Dallas Turner over Henry Toto, like every day of the week. Turner at double-digit TFLs last year, even though he didn't really get significant snaps until the latter half of the season. Remember, Drew Sanders is still at Alabama if he had stayed healthy and not lost his job to Turner while he was out. Okay, important thing to remember. And Arkansas fans are surely grateful that Drew Sanders wasn't able to retain his starting job at Alabama. Turner is already an elite edge guy. He is. He is such a great complement to Will Anderson. I think people are really going to see that. And Alabama fans know this. And Georgia fans probably know this as well because they they saw what he was capable of at the end of the season. But for those who are kind of like, oh, it's all about Will Anderson all the time or Jordan Battle or these guys are a little bit older. Uh, watch Dallas Turner. Trust me. Uh, I actually had the bold prediction that Turner is going to have more sacks than Will Anderson this year because history
1: tells us. I and, feel like wherever Will Anderson is right now, he started moving towards you at a speed he did. and you he just don't know did. when he'll be there, but he's he definitely not doubting Will Anderson, not
0: doubting Will Anderson, best player returning college football, in my opinion, like that. That's not my way of saying, I do not think he is over it at all, but typically, typically, these established explosive edge rushers just get mauled yep. their pre-draft year with all the triple teams and whatnot. Look at Bosa, look at Garrett, look at Clowney. These guys just get at the top of every single scouting report, and every team's mission is we're going to make sure that, that guy does not beat us. Again, it's Will Anderson, so he's still going to get his. He's, he's going to learn gonna how to
1: teleport this offseason and just be like Mewtwo, just pop up by the quarterback. <laughs> I, wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. You're just going to be like, wait a
0: minute, what? that's
1: that's illegal. You, you
0: shouldn't be able to do that. You're an
1: X-Man, Will. You can't do this yeah. and all the other stuff.
0: Confirmed cheating, that is from Will Anderson. I just think that Turner being able to line up against the lesser tackle every single week is gonna be really beneficial. And think about this, if you're a running back and you're sitting there trying to chip block, thoughts and prayers to you, that seems like a not fun job. Start doing that
1: I'm open, bro, I'm open.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just just fake the chip and then sneak off like, like you're just getting ready for a dump off. Like that was my plan the whole time, sure it was if you're forced to be in that spot, mm-hmm. and if you gotta pay attention to somebody coming off the edge, you've got Turner on one side, you've got Anderson on the other, um, who are you gonna pay closer attention to? Will Anderson or not Will Anderson? <laughs> you're gonna pay more attention to Will Anderson. So right. again, not just about projecting, I would take Dallas Turner to, to thrive, and not opposite of Will Anderson as well. And he's, Lord knows he's going to get his time to be able to do that after this season. but. This still comes back to who I think is a better football player if they step on the field tomorrow. Dallas Turner is better than Henry Toto. He impacts the game in a much more significant way. I saw more impact out of him in 370 snaps last year than the 923 snaps that we got from Toto, who was also in his first year at Bama. So again, not trying to hate on the kid, but just think that Turner is that dude. And I usually don't give those those like true sophomores the love because one season, all right, let's kind of wait and see. No, nah, he's ready. He's ready and he is that guy.
1: Toto is a guy that, like, you kind of had me drinking the Kool-Aid on, like, he's kind of overrated, and I saw him on the first team, and I was like, huh, it's one of those, like, perhaps the children are wrong, and then I saw all these stats, I was like, no, no, I think God right here, I think y'all just think he has a funny name and know his name, and y'all just keep writing him down, that's the other side of that argument. Familiar name, and, right and people, people look at tackles, I, I am telling you, they look at
0: tackles, and the, the issues there, and Bumper Pool gets a little bit of that as well. I'm, I'm willing to admit that. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm down on Bumper Pool as, as a player overall. He's better in covers than Toto is. But some of that stuff where you're just like, mm. man, how much of this is because you're a very familiar name, you've been here forever, and you get a million tackles? It's just kind of lazy analysis might be. But anyway, gripe number four. This is gonna be. This is gonna throw people off a little bit. This is gonna sound like. This is gonna sound like I'm really anti-Georgia this show, and I'm. I'm not. I'm not. Keely Ringo got first-team All-SEC love, and Cam Smith didn't. Emphasis more so on the ladder, okay? Focus more on the latter. Georgia fans, do not hate me for saying this. I don't have a single negative thing to say about Keely Ringo, okay? I, I don't. Mm-hmm. This is not a knock against him. We know that he's clutch. The PFF numbers are outstanding. Only two catches allowed on deep targets last year, allowed just a 40.7% completion percentage in coverage. He's really, really good. He's a stud. He could be the first corner off the board in the NFL draft next year. Would not be a surprise. But if there's a knock, and again, this isn't really a criticism of him, but it's more so about his surroundings. The knock is that he wasn't always getting the opposing team's best wide out because they had Darian Kendrick. He usually took care of that. And I tend to think that he got a little bit of help by the fact that Georgia rushed the passer with only four. So those throwing windows were smaller. Compare that to Cam Smith. South Carolina corner stepped into that top role right after they lost J.C. Horn, ever heard of him? And Israel Mukuamo, who was their interception ball hawking type guy. Quietly last year, South Carolina was number one in the SEC against the pass. You could run against them. A lot of teams just chose to run. I get that. They were still 30th nationally in passer rating allowed. Cam Smith, big part of that. Targeted 32 times last year, only 15 were caught. They went for 184 yards. 36.5 36.5 passer rating against him. That's really close and I'm not sure what it is off the top of my head, that number of what would a quarterback's uh, passer rating be if they spiked every play be. Again, because you're not throwing interceptions, so you don't get knocked in that sort of way. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's really close to that, that much we know. We talked about that a lot with Derek Stingley. PFF has Cam Smith as the highest graded returning defensive player in FBS. He's that good. He is a lockdown guy. I just think that he had less help last year in what was his first season as, as a starter than Keely Ringo did. Um, extremely comparable with both of them did last year. So it was more just the fact that Cam Smith not being on first team just did not feel right. Okay, Not trying to hate on Ringo, but I would have preferred probably Cam Smith in that situation. Ringo is plenty worthy of that.
1: So hold on. Really, our favorite game here is we have to take someone off. So of these four DBs in the first team, we have Jordan Battle, Keely Ringo, Eli Ricks, Jalen Catalan. The, Ringo, you think is the guy that you would switch or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he he's he's the guy that I would switch. We've seen it because because uh, you've
0: also only seen it one year from him because obviously right. he was injured his entire true freshman season not knocking the next level potential. I would take Catalan as well, just because I think Catalan has a little bit more and was out for essentially half of last season, but you have a year and a half of him just being extraordinarily good in SEC competition and the presence that he has as a safety. He and Battle both. I have no problem if Jordan Battle and Jalen Catalan are your your preseason All-American safeties. They're that
1: good God. and they make that big of a difference. I, it's really hard for me to get into these guys. DB is impossible, by the yeah, way. Yeah, no, like literally impossible. it's like, I want to like, be there with you, but the thing about Ringo is like, this is one of the few like, Guys who capitalized off of their names last season, and I'm like, good, like you should probably yeah. have a little bit more coming into this season. Because to your point, it's like, yeah, you limited snap, but what did you do with those snaps? So it's like, it's good to put a guy like that on the radar, but yeah, it's, it's one of the that's the downside of like playing on a team that like not a ton of people watch, obviously, is that not a lot, not a ton of people know about you, unless you are JC Horn or like one of these guys that's just like, holy, what am I watching here?
0: So yeah, and even JC Horn go, going into his pre draft season was not getting that type of love yet, and it's like, yep. why doesn't this guy have an interception? yet and then in his pre-draft season he was he was awesome before opting out late and of course the the game against bo Nicks really stood out but yeah I, I it's it's impossible to do the defensive back so you're, you're going to be upsetting someone so yeah. my last gripe is upsetting another sec fan base i think eli ricks is getting too much love eli ricks is great transfer from lsu to alabama I would have rather had Antonio Johnson in that spot. I went on record saying I think Antonio Johnson's the number three defensive player in the SEC coming back to this year behind only Will Anderson and Jalen Carter. I, I think he is a game changer in so many different ways, been very well documented, all bang the drum team. We talked about him with Mike Elko, all the different things that he can do in the middle of that defense. Played more of a slot corner role last year, but played a little bit of everywhere. Played in the box a ton, played in the box over hundred snaps last year. He's going to be playing more safety in DJ Durkin's defense this year, but he just does so many things right and is awesome in coverage, six three slot corners. Don't come around very often. That's 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 rare. And in this day and age, where everybody's trying to get that 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 mismatch to be able to have a Traylon Burks in the slot, to be able to have a Terrace Marshall in the slot, that's what these teams like to be able to do. And he kind of shut that down for him. Three point seven yards per target allowed. He's targeted sixty-two times last year, allowed two hundred twenty-eight yards in coverage. Those numbers, courtesy of PFF. Eight and a half tackles for loss as well. I love Antonio Johnson. Okay, he's all bang the drum team. Through and through. The Eli Ricks thing, I don't know that I would have put him here before media days, but hearing Nick Saban talk about him makes me go, huh. Saban had some comments that just, I don't know, talked about him being a work in progress. I think Jordan Battle had a comment related to that as well. About, or, and Saban said something to the effect of, he's got to learn how we do things at Alabama. As if he has some bad habits that he needs to be able to work through and in a lot of these situations i think well dudes just stick him on your number one receiver tell him to go play whatever coverage you need you want him to play press you want to give his five yard cushion whatever you got to do let eli, eli ricks take care of that he'll wipe out an opposing team's best receiver no questions asked what does he need to learn about the Bama way? but that just kind of made me go huh that makes me a little bit worried makes me a little bit worried he was Really, really good as a true freshman. One of the probably the three best corners in all of college football. He still, though, had a lost sophomore season. Okay? So we didn't get to see him last year. And I, to, to a certain extent, right, you have to hold it against him at least a tiny bit. They played on the worst pass defense in the country in what was his best season. Mm-hmm. That, that has to count for something, right? I don't know, Will. You saw
1: those LSU games. Am I too low on Eli Ricks? I'm very nearly played in the fifth on this one. Uh, I would tend to agree with what Nick Saban and Jordan Battle said. It's the best way I could describe. That's a good way to phrase them. that. Maybe I like I that. To say about <laughs> you, like, mind you, I listed those people. I did not say who I would take off. So <laughs> it's
0: my take. <laughs> That's a good take. That's a perfectly fair take. And Eli Ricks, and, and look, I, it would not surprise me if Eli Ricks and Keely Ringo end up as first-team All-Americans, and if they do, I don't want people to come back and say, you idiot, you doubted them. But this is just about being a little bit higher on Antonio Johnson and Cam Smith and those guys, and I think not playing for the likes of Bama and Georgia can just can sometimes hurt you in some of these preseason. Actually, some of these postseason things as well. Or how many times you just default to those guys because you've either seen them play on the big stage or you just assume they're going to be really good because of where they're playing. So
1: I will say this really quick. I think it's underrated. We've talked about this a little bit, but i think sure I'm going to thread the needle on this one. I think that there was a reason why Corey Raymond was not retained at LSU. I think it's some of the things that you just mentioned. Um, I think Interesting way there. to phrase that. I Interesting th- way to phrase that. Not retained as opposed to poached. Uh, I personally think that the thing, I mean, he went to LSU. He's been at LSU for 10 years. I think that if those demands were met at LSU, it wouldn't be at Florida. It's very simple. Um, But I, I think that at the end of the day, like, I'm sure he had a meeting with Kelly and, and uh, Cooks and all the new guys and they were basically just like, hey, here's the brand of football We want to play. We want to play technically sound football. It's not a star driven thing. It's a Scheme driven thing. We saw LSU for two years had a lot of stars and a horrible scheme and horrible accountability and guys that didn't have good Technique and one of those guys just went to the NFL and we don't even know how good he is Just to be honest with you about seeing like with third overall and so I think that it's I see what Saban and Battle are talking about and I think that there is a difference between the way that Alabama coaches DB's and the way that Corey Raymond did at the end of his tenure at LSU. Mm -hmm. I think that 2019 team had lots of effects on everybody on that staff, all of which are no longer there. And I think that I don't... I think that if your goal is to get to the NFL, quarter room is great for you. If your goal is to win football games, which is Nick Saban's goal, Nick Saban's goal is not to get guys to the NFL. He just happens to get guys to the NFL. Coach O from the jump was like, I want to get guys to the NFL. And I think that teaching technically sound football is something that is probably new to him at Alabama.
0: Would you have said in 2020, because after the year that Stingley had, you would have said Eli Ricks Probably the best player on that team. Um, Both
1: sides of the ball? 2020?
0: Yeah. I realize that's not saying a whole lot. Uh,
1: well, I mean, it just depends on, I mean, this is before Jamar opted out um, or after. I mean, I, yeah. yeah I, I, among guys who actually played. Yeah, 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 yeah. Years. Oh, so like uh, retrospectively to that team? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are a couple of pass rushers I think were pretty good. But yeah, I, I think that especially when you look at the Florida game and the tapes like that. But again, that game was chaos. You know what I'm saying? So, But I agree. He had like six in that game. Yeah, too. no, he sure. He had like one of the craziest plays I've ever seen in that game. He had like, yeah. I mean, he had, that was his, you know, Unreal Magna yeah. Carta. But yeah, like to the point being, Yeah, I I think that's the best way I could explain that. I'm not literally, I'm not slandering anyone. I feel like LSU to a degree failed him, if we're being honest, but yeah.
0: Anytime you do these gripes, by the way, you're going to be taking off one of these very decorated players. I, right. I'm well aware of that. But I subscribe to the theory, don't present a problem without providing a solution. Mm-hmm. You can say that you have a problem. I could say all day until I'm until I'm red in the face, which I currently am right now, that I have We're a problem. You're red in the face every day to be fair. I know, I know. It's just the, it's the Irish in me. I could say all day, I have a problem with Antonio Johnson not getting on that list, or I have a problem with Cam Smith not getting on there, but it's like, all right, you, you have to take somebody off. Okay. That's, that's the way these things work and having filled out this ballot and understanding kind of the way that this process works on a yearly basis, I usually like to feel like I'm relatively prepared for this and relatively prepared when this comes out to know how exactly I'm going to feel. But no, nothing made me more frustrated than seeing Jermaine Burton ahead of Cedric Tillman. That just does not sit well.
1: So as a recap, last year we had um, Kevin George Harris. Pickens. Yes. George Pickens and Kevin Harris. Both of those turned out to be correct, pretty pretty clearly. I think Harris had a fine year, not a great year. Pickens is exactly what we said, just didn't play enough games. So, yeah, but. it's
0: like, boom. Pickens was, was still on a, a limited snap count in the SEC Championship. Why was he a first-team All-SEC guy? I have no idea when we right. knew he was gonna be out. He's going to be out for an extended period of time Even best case scenario under the Will Muschamp therapy plan. He would have been back in like, what, mid-November or something like that. So, yeah, it, uh, it never ceases to amaze me, some of the decisions, the decisions that are made with these preseason all-SEC rosters. And I'm well aware that many people listening to this are going to call me an idiot and say that my, my choices are way off base. And I, I don't hate any of the players that I, that I knocked, but that's just the way that it is. Okay, let's kick it to Takiyo Spikes, Roger Mercury. First time chatting with both of them, did those in Atlanta, like I said, at SEC Media Day. So if you hear some of the background noise, that's exactly what that is. Great conversations with a couple of former Auburn studs. So here is Takio and Roger. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest, a first time guest, new member of the SEC network, Takio Spikes. Takio welcome, man. You got this green suit. People can't, people can't see this at home. You,
2: you came dressed to impress. Well, Mama always told me don't come out the house doing it halfway. So I had to adhere to her rules and uh, I'm here to impress, I mean, not just more than the looks, but really to talk about something that I've been loving as a kid. The game of football, being able to share my perspective through how I see the game and to be able to break it down and, and, and really show people the real. And sometimes we get, we become so enamored with who made the tackle, but I like to show people who made the play, meaning, why did it happen? Why was this guy were able to make the tackle?
0: You didn't realize this before you started this interview, but you are on air with the number one Gene Chiswick podcast in the history of life, and you're, you know, you're taking Chiswick's spot on SEC football final. So I'm just saying, like, if there's anybody that's gonna be skeptical of you, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be me as the the biggest pro Chiswick guy in existence.
2: That's a lot of pressure. (laughs) Connor. that's a lot of pressure. But you know what I'm here for, man. That's what I signed up for. But I mean, listen, I I think the best interviews, the best conversations are just really just talking as if we're in a room by ourselves. And that's what I aim to do. I mean, that's the only way I know how to do.
0: You've wanted to be a part of this network for a while. I know I, I saw you were talking about ever since you saw it in 2014, you're like, hey, I, I'd love to be a part of this someday. When this became a possibility for you, what was just kind of your reaction to, to being able to, to kind of see that, that that opportunity exists and you get to talk about the, the conference that you played in?
2: It was uh, it was huge because, you know, you saw other conferences start to develop their deal. I think Big Ten was out first, you know, and, and and you hear rumors, and then contractually, I was locked up, you know, with another company. And so, you know, I was like, all right, I, I just watched from afar. It kind of reminded me of that pretty girl who you just always trying to get their attention, but somebody else has their attention. And so, finally, it jailed together well.
0: You are uh, somebody that I know from a media perspective. You have a tone about you that is. We we've been seeing it since the the Roll Tide War Eagle doc, where people everybody said like you made that doc with your you delivered the most passionate War Eagle that's ever been delivered, and and no nobody will ever be able to top that again. I think a PG version of that, if you if you're up for it, I think would go a long way to just to be able to kind of start things off. Have you have you ever tried to top the War Eagle that you delivered there?
2: It was one of those things to. Where where, and believe it or not that was just it was the second take and it was one of those things to where i was like can i say this and they was like yeah why not and you know and that was that was the beginning of you know the war the war damn eagle it's incredible to think about,
0: you know, people who are able to kind of transition into this role. And it's it's not a given that, that it's always going to be easy, but I've talked to a lot of people about you already and everybody's like, dude just kind of gets it. And he understands kind of the way that you need to break things down. The only thing that you're left figuring out is which camera to look at here or there. But if that's the thing that you got to worry about, then then you should be fine. The, the endurance that it takes to do SEC football final. Has Dari told you stories about it? Because I've been there, I've experienced it. Those dudes go to like one in the morning. You
2: ready for that? I I live for it. You know, and just, you know, people tell me all the time, like, hey man, that's a grind, it's a grind. That's what I want. I signed up for it, you know? And, And I look back at when I first started TV, NFL Network, another grind. You made me think about this now. I was like part of that second crew who did Good Morning Football that now they eventually moved to New York. I used to fly from Atlanta on a Sunday on a Sunday night get in at like 10 p.m wake up at 3 p.m. to go to the studio because it was 6 p.m. It came on. No, wake up at 1.30, 2 o'clock because it came on at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, which is 3 p.m. Western Time. So I did that for months. And so when we talk about a grind, like this is what I do. This is what I do. This is what I'm built for. And I was always taught. You're ready for it. If you do what you love, never work a day in your life. And for me, I don't look at it as work. I look at it it as I'm privileged and it's an honor to be able to cover the greatest conference in the world when it comes to collegiate sport. And that's what I'm going to do.
0: You've been asked about this a million times. I got to address the elephant in the room. Your neck is the best neck in the history of football. Absolutely. Your name is the best name in the history of football. If there was ever somebody born to be a football player, you are it. Do you do
2: neck exercises, trap exercises? Well, I used to. I used to do them all the time. And then, believe it or not, I'm a little disappointed in Cole Kublik because I gave him the formula and he just stopped doing the trap exercise. And when I saw him the the other day and I was like, Cole, you're killing me right now. He's a Peloton guy now. Yeah, he is. And I'm a Peloton guy now too. So I've slimmed slimmed down a little bit, you know, lost a few inches off of the neck, but that's always my trademark. You still putting up 490 on the bench? No, I stopped. Actually, I did 525 and I tore my (laughs) pec. And, it, and that's when i was like you know what what am i doing right that's always the the moment
0: where you're you're looking around you're going wait what do i have to do what am i doing this for what's really the motivation behind it everybody hits that point i imagine with somebody who played 15 years in the nfl like yourself that's a little bit later
2: no I mean, you know what the the main thing is is making sure that the quality of life is good and so now when i work out i told tim this earlier I said, man, I'm not working out to be thick. I'm not working out to look cock diesel. I'm going to do that anyway. I work out to make sure I can light two candles at night and my old lady can appreciate when I take my shirt off. That's the only thing I work out for, period. Bedroom body. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best
0: response we've ever gotten. That's unbelievable. I don't know how to transition out of that. Um, You have to come in here with a bold take, a bold prediction, something something related to, to that. I remember Roman did that. That when he first started I, I've seen a lot of other analysts do that as well you had a bold take that you said on airwaves the other day didn't you
2: I did I did and it was you know Ben was feeling himself over the Georgia Bulldogs he should be as he should and I'm not mad at him because I like the Georgia Bulldogs believe it or not but I had to tell him I said look Ben I truly believe th- I think they're playing the third game of the season South Carolina Gamecocks notoriously for years that's been a hard game for the bulldogs now regardless of whatever the talent level looks like i say right now i have them winning beating georgia in colombia i do i, I say it, i have them and he was like what and i was like yeah you know so that that's gonna be one that everybody marks on the calendar but on september 2nd i'm gonna come out with my official upset list And now people really can tune in to see, okay, are you gonna be on the hope side or are you gonna be on the disappointing side? So I'm still getting all of my analytics together, studying, I need to watch more film, but that's what I feel. Last one for you, Will Anderson, have
0: you come up with the right words to describe who he is as a player and what he can be in the grand scheme of the history of not only the SEC, but just in the history of college football?
2: Mr. Relentless. That's what I see when I turn on the film. He's a guy who's advanced as a pass rusher. He's a ball playing Jesse. Like he, he I. It's a shame. It was an it was atrocious. Like thought process to not even have this guy just even attend the Heisman ceremony. Because what he did, I don't think we will ever see that again from one player. Like, what, 34-and-a-half tackles for losses, 17-and-a-half sacks. Only one person in Alabama who had a better stat line than that, and that was Derek Thomas. You know what I mean? And so, like – I'm now I'm finally glad people are finally pushing him to the forefront. And I think that's what happens now. When you look at the voting system, I think it's flawed. And you look at it and and people never really want to look at defensive players as an Heisman player. But he is definitely that guy. He's special.
0: It's Q. Really appreciate the time. Welcome back to the SEC, man.
2: Thanks, man. I appreciate it.
0: Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is former Auburn star, current Tennessee Titan, Roger McCreary. Uh, Roger's here on behalf of Bush's Baked Beans, the official bean of the SEC. We got the intro. Laura Rutledge gave us the intro earlier in the week. So you're going to have to one-upper, up, basically is what I'm saying. You are the world's biggest Bush's Baked Beans fan from what I heard. A little birdie told me. Tell me about the fine work you're doing with them.
3: Oh yeah, um, it's just great. Um, like um, I have, I've got noticed just for the love of just for the beans and everything. And, um, I'm just here on, on their behalf to announce and their new partnership was Beans of the SEC and I'm just excited on because like just their first year, it's the SEC, this the best conference. I feel like it just, it just Beans more. Like it, it just a lot comes with it. Everything's great in the SEC so I'm really happy about this partnership because I, I really love Big Beans so I'm really happy. And it just Beans more tattoo is that imminent or? No, he said it just, just a thing like it was a good thing like just Beans more in the SEC just means more so that was the first thing I thought of and like when. At, All thought thought of about and everything, but I'm just very excited about this new opportunity. Rolls off the tongue.
0: Uh, I know you're excited to be able to, to kind of get to this next level after what you did in the SEC, which, uh, in my opinion, you know, really remarkable to see the way that you developed into this this lockdown cover corner. I go back to that clip that you had defending Jamar Chase back in 2019 and, and, the, and the plays that you were able to, to make over the course of the last few years. What do you think kind of the, the way that the cornerback position is set up right now, where do you think that you, you kind of see yourself fitting in in the NFL? Do you see yourself as being that lockdown number one cornerback Oh on the outside?
3: Oh, yeah, um, I'm confident in that, um, but I'm not the type of guy who just be like, oh, yes. oh I'm, I'm locking down everybody type stuff. So really, I, the next level, I know it's going to be a little, little more tough and everything, but I played against guys throughout the whole week and everything. I don't know exactly what position I'll be playing because like we all like do everything. It don't matter. We're not just one position. So I'm just really excited just to see how it goes and everything. I'm not going to say I'm be the, the top defense, the top cornerback and everything. I'm just going in with a clear mindset of just, trying to be the best that I can and I just, I just hope that everything falls in place. I'm I'm just put it in the word and just be there for the team and just try to win. <laughs> Is it hard to kind of just put your head down and kind of focus on all things
0: Auburn with the year that you guys had? I, I guess some, a lot of that stuff happened after the fact and after you had already, you know, declared for the NFL draft and you're doing all that stuff, but was it tough to kind of just keep your
3: head down and, and not get distracted by all that stuff? Um, I seen it. Yeah, it was a lot of stuff going on at Auburn, but I would say it, it wasn't tough because um, the yeah, uh, yeah, that's my school and I, I graduated from everything. I love Auburn, I love everything about it. And that was really the harsh time and everything. But I was in like a, a situation too, when I had to just focus on myself because the recruiting process, I mean not the recruiting process, but like just the draft process, the training, working out for the combine and everything. I was busy myself. So really like, I wasn't really trying to pay so much attention of that and everything. Cause I was just really focused on myself. What do you make of the Brian Harson situation and the way that he's been treated? In, in that situation? What do you what do you make of the the treatment, you know, that that he got after
0: after the season ended and we we're, we're trying to figure out if he's going to be the head coach at Auburn. There's apparently this coup going on. I mean, guys noticed that stuff. It was, you know, obviously all over the place. What did you guys kind of make of that as guys who got to kind of see the way that he operates?
3: Oh yeah, um I would say um like I say a lot of people was just was just talking cuz a lot of people didn't know like the full story. A lot of people wasn't actually wasn't there and everything, but I say it, it was really a lot going on, a lot of opinions and stuff. But like really like he has a I feel like he has a vision that's going to be great for the program and everything. It was just his first year, so a lot of people were on the same page, I would say. And I, I feel like he, he kind of got all that out of the program and everything. He's trying to start new. So I feel like this year, is going to be great for him. He know how he operated and everything. And I feel like just the stuff they're doing and everything, i spoke to the coaches and all that stuff and the players and they said everything's going great. Like, they're all on the same page. They're like making that connection and stuff. So I feel like it's going to be great. And like, just being coached by him, it was just, it was great. Like, he was a great guy and everything. And I really liked it out got coach him.
0: what was your your first interactions with him with him like when you you know obviously you had been recruited by Gus Malzahn's on staff you know you you're there and probably in large part because of Kevin Steele and the defense that you got to play in with him what was that 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 experience like having him show up as a guy who you know admittedly an outsider and somebody who had spent a lot of time in the state of Boise but what was your your first interactions with uh, with your new head coach like
3: oh yeah um it was i, I remember when i first met him cuz i was thinking when decided on leaving a Back, so um, I went and spoke to everybody, new coaching staff, see how like what system they was having, like how, how everything was going to go in the future if I would have came back. So when I when I came back, I spoke to him and he was he was just telling me about his vision about like how he how he at the team and just how like the, the goals he has set up. And he said if I'm coming back, he said he just want me to be all in. And I feel like that's why he really want everybody to be all in on his vision because that's the biggest part of like moving forward and like starting off something new. So like that was just that I was in this off is we we're talking and everything and that, that just the agreement we had and just then he just like trying to like get to know me and everything and he really tried to push me. At first I wasn't like, really cool with it because he was all for me but like I, I liked it that because like I liked being a hard, hard coach and I feel like he was really trying to push me.
0: I've, I've heard that. It's just different style in Gus. I mean yeah. different different way to, to kind of communicate. Do you still keep in touch uh, with with Gus Malzahn?
3: Oh yes sir most definitely. Um, I spoke to him um, when, when he left and when he got settled at school. Um, when I got drafted I had spoken to him and every thing and just like every now and then I spoke to them really all of the coaches that had left I always speak with them and everything but just that whole coach that was just great because you know they they recruited me so like I I really liked everything about them. (laughs) Tell me about uh, getting drafted by the Titans because getting to go to Nashville getting to live there I mean you can end up in a lot of places and you
0: never know where you're gonna end up but you go to a situation where they draft a quarterback and they draft Malik
3: Willis everybody's talking about Malik everybody expected him to go to go higher in the draft what have your impressions been of him so far? Oh yeah you know me and league we've been like teammates before at Auburn so it was just great having another Auburn person with me and stuff but it was just great because seeing him finally like getting blown up and like people recognizing how talented he was and he got drafted by there it was just great and just the experience like a Tennessee with him on the side it's just all fun and I just hope that like he learned the system and just get like like he getting ready I just hope that everything's go good for him but we all trying to get better like as the Rick and everything so I just hope everything goes good. Do you remember what but it was like, uh, what if early
0: in his career, and he's trying to figure out kind of who he is. Everybody talks about how much he improved with Hugh Freeze, but you you probably saw a very different guy when he before he transferred, as opposed to what you've seen from him so far in minicamp. How, how drastic is that change?
3: Oh, you talking from high school? Like I mean, not from college until like all oh, rookie camp to like
0: yeah, like early early in his career at Auburn before he, before he transferred, and then compare that to kind of where he's at now. I mean, everybody improves, yeah. but with Malik being considered I mean Gus said he's a third string guy and then now to be at the position he's at where everybody's kind of wondering is he gonna be a legit solid NFL starter franchise quarterback how different is that you know everything kind of about his game
3: um when, when he first started when I first came to Auburn and everything I, I noticed him when I went on the visit and everything when I got there he was just young like a guy. you know he got to learn the system um, he was just young and I feel like when he left he, he developed like he started learning the system like he had a bigger role I feel like it was great for him I was happy I was happy that he left because that like that really changed his mind. I feel like everything was just great. It was just blessings. It was just blessing. I like, I loved everything about it. And now I'm finally seeing him at Kemp and everything. I feel like he, he's, he's gonna do the good because he's still he's learning like we all learn that as a Ricky group. And I feel like everything's just great because like practices get better and better and everything. So I just feel like in the future, I don't know exactly how it gonna be. Cause like I'm, I don't know how to lead this myself and I'm still trying myself. So I just, I just know that no matter what, he always want to push and he always want to have his faith. So that's one thing I know exactly about him. Have you picked him off yet? Oh my, I, have, I haven't picked him off yet. I'll admit that I haven't picked nobody else yet, but we, we all, we all trying to push each other and stuff. So I'll be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna catch pick off you. I always talk to him and everything. So it's just fun times over there. Traylon Burks guarding that guy. You guard him at When he was at Arkansas, obviously, you're, you're getting
0: to, to probably see him a lot in practice. Uh, how difficult is it to guard a guy like that who's 6'3", 230, and moves the way that he does?
3: Oh Yeah, um, that was like when playing against Arkansas, that was one of the guys we had to stop. And uh, it, was, it was just great, like, going against them. Like, we, we spoke, like, during the game when we played against them and all that stuff. So I knew he was a great, funny guy. And, like, I didn't know he was funny at first, but I knew he was a wait, great guy. Wait, what, did he, what did he say to you during the game? I, I mean, he'll be, like, be like, that's good. He was like, dang, like he be mad. He'd be showing like he really like loved the game. He's so competitive and stuff. Like he like he really seemed like, like he really wanted to kill this. He tried. He scored two touchdowns. He was trying. And you could just tell it because he was so frustrated. Like he really wanted to win. And like I didn't know what, like Ty Percy was until we got to like Nashville. And he's a funny guy. I promise you, like he one of the cool, funniest guy ever. So like me and him, like we talk every day. We make jokes around, just gonna get some at practice. I know he's gonna get me better, and I'm happy because he's one of the top receiver ever. So I'm happy I'm gonna get. This this guy every day at practice because his side, he can jump, his speed—it's just great. So I'm happy. I'm gonna get some. KJ Jefferson told me he just bought a house. You been to his house yet? Uh, no, I've been. outside I haven't been to the house yet because I, I just moved too. So yeah, but me so that like, man talks. So I'm gonna be over there one day. Who's the toughest guy that you've had to cover in the
0: SEC? I, I mean, I don't know if you can name Jamar because you did kind of, kind of have that play on him in 2019. Is there is there one guy that stands out toughest guy
3: to cover? Um, I would say it was, it was a lot of. I'm not I'm not gonna lie. All of them was tough to guard, but um, I really don't know. I, I went against too many guys. It wasn't no specific guy, but I would say the guy like I would say it was John Mitchell. That was one of the guys. It, it was tough. Um, Devontae Smith. That was like a tough matchup there. And um, Jamar Chase. That was like all of the guys. They really kind of gave me a little hard time because they they are good. So it was really no specific guy, but I would say like. All them guys were great. How hard is it to
0: be a freshman receiver in the SEC? I've been wondering that for, for a while. Like this step up to have to get separation. When you when you're lined up and you're you're impressed man and you're looking across the way and you see a freshman, chances are you know you've you got him, and you know that he, it's gonna be really difficult for him to be able to, to get anything on you. Is is that a real like a real legitimate hurdle that, that these guys have to work through as, as true freshman receivers? Do you kind of see that when you're out there?
3: Oh yeah, most definitely. You you can tell like a freshman receiver, I mean, you have to study your guys too but you can tell like who freshman receiver or how they act but there's like my mindset is you can't think that like you, all this freshman receiver, I'm just totally demolishing because that's some freshman receivers I have went against that was really good so like but you, you can tell guys like that and like really it's all about the guys being confident like if the guy confident he, he can do great but I feel like some guys they really don't kind of be confident but there are some guys, freshmen out there that's really great and I don't really, I don't underestimate no guy so I'll try to come at the guy every time just like any other receiver two more for you i know you got to run here but um prediction for for auburn
0: season what are you thinking
3: i feel like it's going to be great just to send the workouts and talking to the teammates and, and and um and the coaches and everything um just watching i feel like it's going to be great i truly don't know the outcome of like their record or who's going to beat anything i'm just out to support them and as a whole everything go great Good non-answer. I, that nothing wrong with that. Um, one, was f- no, one no specific result. I can't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how it's gonna go, but I, I feel like it's gonna be great though. <laughs> okay. Uh, best moment in your college career was what? Best moment in my college career. Um, I would say. I would say it was um, 2019 Iron Bowl when we had we beat Bama. That was that was like one of the best things about Jordan. Harris. Really, Jordan. Harris always one of my best moments. That and you know, um my last season playing against Ole Miss. That at Jordan Harris, Again, it was just great, just seeing like nighttime, the lights and everything, just the, the crowd. That's one of the best moments ever. Last last question. Best non-Jordan Hair atmosphere that you played in was what? Best non-Jordan Hair atmosphere. Um, you talking like, understand? Like, like yeah, like uh, like LSU, Alabama. Yeah, okay. Um, it was Florida. It was Florida. We played against them 2019. Yeah, that was that. That crowd was so loud. Like, I couldn't even think. Like, that that was too loud over there. I said that was one of the loudest. Crawl and um tits and then another one but florida that's the largest though i gotta say florida <laughs> i tell people that all the time they're always like what are
0: you what are you talking about roger really appreciate the time bush's baked beans official bean of the sec
3: you, you i think you got you got what three four plates of beans that you gotta to eat today oh to my i got to eat today i mean i, I have eight like about two like yesterday <laughs> so so yeah i feel like i'm gonna eat two more again today <laughs> love it appreciate it man i thank you what's my destiny mom
1: you're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, fullest. You never know what you're going to get.
0: Figuring out, we're talking books today. Books, that's right. I am not here to book shame. I will not do that. I had a family member book shame me a little while back. Didn't feel great. For reading their like own types film. of books? For not reading enough. Oh, okay. But you're a writer, you read, anyway. Well, you're making my point for me, and I appreciate you doing that, Will. <laughs> I vow not to book shame today. It wasn't, like, it wasn't anything really malicious, but I was asked about what books I had read lately, and it had been a few months since I had cracked open a book. Sorry. Mm-hmm. It happens. But I think the way that she responded to that was, Oh, so you don't really read books, <laughs> which not really true. I, I do. Mostly sports or nonfiction, but I just... I don't read novels because when your job is writing thousands of words per day and I spend my other time either reading or talking, I, I don't always want to kick back and dig into the premonition. Okay? Mm-hmm. I'm going to get to that book eventually. I will. I got to be in a better headspace. Okay? Kind of a depressing subject a little bit. Don't want to revisit that quite yet. Michael Lewis, by the way, same guy who wrote Moneyball. Um, not trying to book shame you by making that reference. I'm not. I'm not. Okay? I want that on record. But I'm more of a beach reader, Mm -hmm. a vacation reader. Give me a good book to be able to unplug. I kind of treat books now like how I treated video games when I was in high school or college. Right. Get really into it for a few weeks. That's going to take any sort of free time. I'm that person. I'm not the person that's walking through the grocery store, reading a book. Again, we're not here to book shame. We're not here to do that. Just acknowledge my existence. Acknowledge that you should not be walking into me <laughs> if your reason is reading a book.
1: I'm There's sorry, 8 year There's like four kid. themes this podcast always come back to you. And your public shopping experience is certainly one of them. <laughs>
0: Dude, I get heated at the grocery store sometimes. Just like, this is not the way we should exist. It's not. I will eventually come out with my ultimate grocery store playlist. I got a little bit of insight on that over the weekend from a friend of a friend, so mm-hmm. stay tuned for that. Good. Um, books, that's what we're talking about. Uh, a lot of the books I read now are sports related. Of course, one of the perks of this job, I get books sent to me, decent amounts, pretty nice, pretty easy to fill a bookshelf, pretty easy way to unplug when you kind of get a new random book about college football every, like, I don't know, every couple of months or so. Mm-hmm. I have shared this before, but since we are on the subject of this, Will, you know this, Lauren and I came up with an idea that more couples should take advantage of. Wow, a lot of context. That could go in a whole lot of different ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, let's hear it. <laughs> okay, so back in 2016, she wanted to reread Harry Potter. I had stopped in the middle of Goblet of Fire. Just too long. Too long. I was like, oh, yeah. I don't know if sixth grade Connor, however old I was, is really feeling the vibes here. Mm-hmm. A little, little bit too thick of a book for me at that time in my life. I wanted to read them as an adult, but... With any sort of fiction book, I've realized more of an audiobook guy now. Gone Girl was one I did on audiobook, was really good. Um, And by audiobook, in this case, I mean Lauren reads them to me as a bedtime story. Love that. Yeah. We did that with a couple of crime novels as well. Don't really recommend that. Not great. Right before bed. Kind of a tougher thing, and then you have dreams about it. Just don't do clutching it. your pillow. Well, yes, very much. Like, why am I sweating right now? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Harry Potter was not as scary. Spoiler alert: the end of Goblet of Fire, though. I don't, don't want to spoil anything too much, but let's just say Cedric Diggory doesn't have the best ending. Anyway, grown adult, Lauren read me all seven Harry Potter books, cover to cover, bedtime story. It was lovely. No shame in that. No shame if you're listening to this and you haven't read a book since high school. Will, without book shaming, (laughs)
1: <laughs> Speaking of people who haven't read a book since high school, Will, how you doing today? Uh, yeah, man, no, I, uh, I'm, dude, I'm in the same boat, dude. I just read, like, a screen all day, like, because I work in social media, and this sounds really stupid, but it's, like, I just a very ADHD brain, and I'm just, like, scrolling, reading constantly, constantly. So, like, when I'm done working, I'm trying to, like, either get away from a screen or, like, play some type of video game. Like, I can't, I cannot be at this stage of my life, like, a... Fun reader, like the beach thing is appealing. to Me, I've done that a couple of times. That's pretty cool. But like for me, it just feels like more work I got to do. Like I did something similar to that. Like, um, uh, Brittany was reading me that book that Kobe had put out. That was like his like life story, basically in photos that he did with his like personal photographer. That was super cool. Got through that. But yeah, unless there's something like that that's like really like sticks out to me, and I'm like, oh, I gotta have like this element in my life. I'm just not like a huge book reader guy.
0: I don't think there's anything wrong with that, and I I think that there are different motivations for reading. Reading for recreation is what I like to be able to do. I don't I don't want to read about something that I don't have any interest in. I, I I'm sorry. Like right. it's good to be able to expand your horizons, but at this point in my life, I want to be able to read about something that I find entertaining, interesting, learn about something new, learn about something that I don't particularly I didn't particularly care for. Or I thought I have a certain impression of the last two books I read were uh, Blood at the Garden, the Chris Herring book on the 1990s Knicks, mm-hmm. cannot recommend that enough, extraordinary. And then the, the Lars Anderson book on Dabo, which I found really insightful. And if you have a certain impression of Dabo, I think it's justified, but I always think it's also important to be able to learn who people are. I find myself gravitating towards the, the, the biographies. I, I wanna learn more about people. When Bruce Feldman comes out with his book about Ed Odron, I'm like, yes, yeah, sign me up. When Herb Street comes out with his book, uh, that that's like the, the type of stuff that I just burn through that. Like that that's easy to me. But in terms of like some thought-provoking novel that reminds me of being back in high school, I don't know. Just just, just can't really do it. Mm-hmm. Just for me, that just doesn't move the needle. Not here to shame. If it does for you, that's all well and good. Lauren, big-time book reader, not a surprise. She's got the brains. Does it a lot. Likes to be able to have a new book all the time. Goes to the library very frequently. We just got our library cards a couple of weeks ago. That's something that not a lot of adults do,
1: I think. Oh, do y'all no, have do you all go to the Orange County one?
0: Uh, yes, the one that's over on uh, on 436. That's um, actually, I think we just switched libraries, if I'm not mistaken.
1: It, yeah. The Orange County library is fire. I just my But yeah.
0: Yeah. A lot of good libraries out there. You can get get movies there as well. This is not a movies podcast, though. This is strictly books that we're talking about today. Okay. Questions for the Facebook group, Saturday On South podcast on Facebook. What's the best book you've read recently? Do you read non-sports books? What's the best place to read and why is it the beach? And fiction, yeah or nah? All right. Let's go to this one from Andrew Diacomo. Andrew says, currently rereading Who's Your Caddy? have golf is not a game of perfect waiting in the wings wife just finished the sixth last kingdom book so i might jump into that series a series is a good way to go about it because that could take a long time as we found out with harry potter over the course of a couple of years that's not something that you're just going to be able to have two weeks worth of entertainment of and then just just move on but it's got to be a captivating series it's got to be enough where you don't feel like it falls off and I haven't seen too many of those that have really caught my interest, in the same way that a certain Harry Potter did. Are you you're, you weren't like a big. Um like you didn't read The Hobbit or anything like that, did you?
1: Oh, buddy. I, if you saw the, you would have hated me so much in school, dude, like back in the day. Uh, I was the guy who would find the most thought-provoking short book I could. Like big Hemingway guy. Big, like give a huge presentation over like 50 or 60 pages I read. Like, Smart. Yeah, like that was a big time. Like people, like whenever I didn't have a book and I had to a report, The Old Man of the Sea it was like the bread and butter. I'd be like, dude, I could draw so many new conclusions from this book you have never heard. Because I was, I'm an A1 or you know this about me. And so, yeah, but like as far as, uh, oh gosh. Uh, I actually read a lot of, like, Series of Unfortunate Events. That was my series of books. I read all the way through. That was awesome. Uh, the movies are horrible. Don't watch the movies. Uh, there's, like, a new adaptation of hers. Okay, but I'm, I'm over it because um, the first movie was so bad. But, yeah, like, that that type of, yeah, I think that's why, like, kids' books are so, like, such a goldmine because it's so sequential. So, yeah, I think everyone has, like, their series they go to.
0: Do you say very often the book is, the the book is better than the movie? Are you that person? No, never. Yeah, yeah never. Sometimes the movie's just better. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Drew Page says, bought a book about serial killers while in Washington state. Of course. Because true crime is my favorite thing in the world and I keep forgetting to finish it because ADHD makes me forget how to read. True crime, just like with podcasts, a great book selection. It mm-hmm. keeps you very interested. You, you, you find yourself wanting to get to the end, wanting some sort of a conclusion, wanting some sort of uh, loose ends tied. That's a, that's a really good recommendation. I, there's, I can't remember the name of that off the top of my head. The, the serial killer in Washington State that was really famous, that I should know the name of.
1: Oh, I mean, there are plenty in Washington State, actually. Like, I, I think Bundy was up there for a minute. Like, there have, been, oh, that's right. there have been dudes like, yeah, if you go through the Washington State kind of history, it's a wild place. And their flag is ridiculous. Let's go to this one, wait, wait, the flag? What do you mean by the Yeah, flag? it's just like a cartoon portrait of George Washington on like a, back, a green background. It's like the worst flag you've ever seen in your life. Like, it's like someone had to throw it together in five minutes. Seems standard. I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, Like, imagine clip art George Washington is what it looks (laughs) like.
0: We're not here to flag shame either. (laughs) Okay.
1: We need to rake the flags one day. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Reed Cousins says, best book I've read is Atlas Shrugged by um, Ayn Rand. Highly, highly recommended to everyone. Beach used to be the best place, but with three little kids. That's not an option anymore. Fiction books are great. Nonfiction is great. Just read a book, any book. Reed's, (laughs) Reed's, <laughs> Reed, you better be a big reading guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was, that, that seemed obvious. Yeah. I didn't think about that from that standpoint. Priorities change once you have, once you have kids and the relaxation of being at the beach is just a little bit different. Can't really get away with that in the same sort of deal. Like I don't remember my parents reading a whole lot of books when I was younger. Well, did you just send me a picture of the state flag? No, maybe. Okay. You sent me something.
1: <laughs> it was definitely a picture. I wanted to like anyway. Yeah, you're right. I feel like as a kid you're, or as a parent, you're basically a lifeguard at the beach. So shout out to parents. Yeah.
0: Chris Milan says currently reading Down Among the Dead Man by Craig Schaefer. Um, all the time with non with uh, with fiction. Big into fantasy and sci-fi. I usually read in my bed, but the beach is elite for the ambient sounds. Based on the other answers, yes times 100 with uh, with yeah with with fiction. Um, I never really quite got into sci-fi and I blame my imagination for it. Couldn't do it in a movie sense, couldn't do it in a book sense. Animorphs was the closest I came to that. Is that is that kind of Did sci-fi? You say
1: Animorphs? Oh yeah. Technically, yes, that is sci-fi. I'll give you credit on that. Yeah.
0: When I was in elementary school, we would have to read a different type of book to cover a bingo card. Mm-hmm. And that was the first sci- you had to read like one sci-fi book. Animorphs every single
1: time. Fair, auto lock. Animorphs. Big, big print. I, I don't know if Goosebumps fell into that category. Buddy, Maybe did I'm I delete some Goosebumps? Actually, now that I think <laughs> about that, that might be why I'm so weird today. Because I read like that whole series. Also, the scary stories. You know those scary stories compilations that would have like the really messed up black and white art on them. I read a lot of those. Mm-mm. I
0: don't remember Maybe that. Maybe
1: I was like the only person that read these. But like there would be like scary stories to tell in the dark or something. And they were like same thing. Like you'd be clutching your pillows like was like continual. Like why did I just read that? It was terrible. Are you afraid of the dark? I mean no, but dark as a concept doesn't really exist anymore now that we have iPhones. True. I was
0: talking about the show. Oh. The the classic Nickelodeon show. Oh, true. I'm realizing, as I say it might be a little bit before your time. A
1: little bit, yeah.
0: Yeah. Laura Doyle says, all y'all need to know, the Libby app, if you get a library card, you can link your account to this and read digital books for free. Ooh. Just don't like if you were getting them physically through your library. Don't pay for an Amazon book subscription or buy books. Just get this. Cool.
1: Libby app. Good to know. That is figuring it out right there. That is someone who understands this better than us. Good.
2: That is adulting.
0: Yep. That is somebody that reads books regularly and reads way more than we do combined. Mm -hmm. Michael Dark says, I haven't read a book cover to cover since high school, but I enjoy reading shorter pieces about US and world history. I'll also get into uh, kicks where I'll read about Supreme Court cases and majority... In uh, the majority, in dissenting opinions, fiction goats are Holes and The Outsiders. Mm. Holes is a great book. Stanley Yelmats.
1: man. You're, you're yeah. no good lying pig stealing great-great-grandfather, right?
0: I wasn't really moved by the side storyline in that. I would always find myself just skipping through but I loved the main storyline of that. But then when I got to the end, I was like, I don't get how this all connects.
1: You just get <laughs> a part figure it out. of a book. That is chaos, I bet. Yeah. It's almost like they put it there for a reason, Cutter. Yeah. It made a
0: lot more sense when I saw the movie. <laughs>
1: now okay. you got to go back and be like, dang, which parts did I skip? Hold on, chapter three? Okay. Yeah, I needed Shia LaBeouf to make sense of it for me. Shia LaBeouf. Fill in all those those gaps. C- yeah. Cajun. People forget.
0: Is he? Yep. Okay. Good to know. Outsiders, another one. Yep. Great, great high school book. Uh, was it high school that I read that? I think I read that in middle school. Actually, I could be wrong on that. Yeah. Tom Cruise is in that one. Yeah, The Outsiders is, is like
1: low key, kind of a messed up book where you kind of go through the psychology of it, but yeah, it's like yeah, like you kind of like read back and you're like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, Pony Boy. Yeah. Yeah. Who could forget? Just coming of age, just just figuring out life. Mm-hmm. That's What we're here to do. Yeah, great movie for that. Uh, Jared Brown, Quarterback Dads uh, was the last book that he read. Shout out to Teddy Greenstein, friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Not a big book reader, though. Can count on one hand the books I've read since college. More of an article or ebook guy, if not being forced. Yeah, I get that. That's perfectly fair. Nothing wrong with that. Um, I haven't really got into the ebook scene. Haven't never had a Kindle or anything like that just yet. I like being able to call me old fashioned. Like being able to just hand it in my hand, and because I look at a screen all day, right. I want to keep looking at a screen. Just don't want to do that. And I know they have the certain settings where it doesn't feel like you're looking at a screen, you're looking at a book, and it's probably more efficient, but whatever. Okay, let's do one more. Grant Haney gave us a really long one. And thank you to everybody that submitted responses here uh, Garrett Young as well. Uh, we had uh, Emery, had a great Jeff Williams also. Um, let's end with this one from Rob Watts. Rob says, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday is the best book I've read in a long time. I usually read roughly 30 books a year including audiobooks and the occasional graphic novel. I'm currently reading The Dallas Cowboys by Joe Nick uh, Potaski. It's history of the team. Also, yes to fiction. I just finished Terminal List by Jack Carr. That sounds like it'd be good, but I just pictured the terminal, the Tom Hanks movie. And mm-hmm. I can't picture anything
1: else. History, I'm sure it's great though. History of the Cowboys gotta be written on a typewriter. Um, I would say, like, so people have been talking about like war books and stuff. I love that. I will I will jump back really quick to um Emory said on his that uh, he like got six or seven uh, concussions and now doesn't have the attention to ban for books and I was like, you know <laughs> maybe that is <laughs> Like hmm, you just kind of start thinking about other stuff what you read. Dang, that could be me. Anyway,
0: I think that's. I don't know how much what's the the separation is between concussions and and ADD. When I was when I was a kid, my mom told me what ADD was, and she said people who have ADD can't just sit there and read a book for fifteen minutes. Right. So now whenever I picture somebody say that they have ADD, I picture them struggling to read a book for 15 minutes.
1: Just struggling, just sweating, like just like ah, like an Which, anime like, battle with hey, a book.
0: That's all of us, at, to a certain extent. All of us hit that point sometimes where we're reading a book and we got our phone out and we're just like, ah, you know what, I'm taking, like 20 minutes to get through five pages of this book. I wonder why. It's probably because I'm really distracted. And then you have to like go back and read stuff. Yeah. That's right. that's the worst. The mess with that. Um, let's do, we'll do Ladder of the Week next week. Okay. We're going to have more examples probably next week. We're going to do quarterback rankings next week. Oh,
1: buddy. Let's Long go. Long waited.
0: Yeah. I think we, we just got to do one through 14, right? We're, we're at that point. We updated post-SEC media days. I thought about doing Ranking the quarterback rankings <laughs> and finding all the quarterback rankings that are out there, dude. there's just one out ranking I was one. like, I
1: think I'm necessarily off this. There was like a person on there. I was like, this is the worst quarterback ranking I've ever seen in my life, and it was SEC only. And I was like, like, people have tagged me in it. I was like, what do you want me to say to this? This is insane. But yes,
0: yeah. There was one that I saw recently, um, a national ranking. That I just shook my head at. And look, if you have Caleb Williams as your number two quarterback in college football this year, look at the numbers against non-top 70 defenses and come back and talk to me, okay? Just going to continue to bang that drum. Tremendous potential, but number two quarterback in the country, you're not quite getting there. Anyways, leave us a five-star review if you haven't, or get a burner account and do that. Yes. We love that too. Join the Facebook group, Saturday Down South Podcast, on Facebook. Hear your name Red on air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brush. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.